Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Last Friday, I had the joy of going to Nathan's, um, Nathan's Com in Milton Keynes. It was amazing. We go and we sit there, just a few of us around, and Nathan shared his heart, and he was talking about the heart of our hearts and the heart of God through Scripture, and it was amazing. And I just want to prophesy, as we were singing that song, I just want to prophesy over some people that are going to get something out of what I'm about to say. Nathan, would you come and just help me for a minute? I need someone else. Who knows what... Who knows how to use a ratchet strap? Is anyone here that knows how one of these works? I've got no clue. Do you know? I don't know how it works. All right, cool. All right, let's just... Anyone that can help me? Somebody, I'm going to need someone. Carsten, come and make it. Come and help me out, dude. So what I want to do is put this ratchet strap around Nathan's chest. Tighten it up as hard as... Keep going until he starts crying or something. Oh, good. All right, no... Go as tight as you can, all right? What I want to say is life can be painful sometimes. It takes us down roads that we never expected. You know what? There are four things about hurt that I want to talk about today, and pain. Pain can sometimes be a good thing, can't it? Pain is a great thing. I was talking about Andy's foot and how he's got a really bad foot, and he feels pain in it when he walks, and that's because his body is saying to him, get off that foot because I need time to recover. You need to get off. That's a good thing that pain is doing in Andy's life, isn't it? It's great. But you know what? Pain is very ra- rarely the problem. It's the outworking of the problem. Pain, actually, the good thing about pain is that it leads you to where your problem is. It's the pain that identifies to the doctor where your problem exists. So pain is not necessarily a bad thing. Yet we go through pain in life. We have difficulty in life and we think, well, God can't be present in my pain. God can't be present in these circumstances because he's not blessing me. I'm not feeling happy. I'm not feeling great. But happiness and joy doesn't relate to God being in control or God being over what is going on. There's no correlation there whatsoever. And that's what I'm going to talk about. But I believe there are some people that have come to church today because I know, because I'm preaching the message today that I want to hear. I've written a message that I want to come to church and I want to hear and I want to receive. So as much as this is for you, it's for me, okay? But who has ever felt pain, hurt, maybe emotional, maybe physical, maybe that, but in in your life you just feel like somebody's tightened a ratchet strap around your chest and you can feel your pain, maybe hurt, maybe heartbreak, Maybe a relationship that has broken in your life. Maybe something that you're going through. Maybe your business went into bankruptcy and it was your high hopes for your life. Maybe there is divorce in your life from the one that you dearly love, that you loved. And it made you feel like Carsten had come and tightened a ratchet strap around your chest and you could physically feel it. Has anyone identify with that kind of pain and that kind of hurt? Is there anyone here that's experienced that? You can physically feel it. Anyone been hurt so much that it takes your breath away? It takes your breath away. And in that moment, that moment of hurt, you can't even gasp a breath. Thanks, guys. That was just a prophecy. There are some people that came to church like that today. 
And this word is for you. Let's go. I've got to go quickly. I ran out of time. I got it wrong in the nine o'clock service, and that's why we're all running late today. The oldest biblical text is Job. Job was a man that had the ratchet strap of life go round his chest so that he could feel it. It's the oldest text in the Bible, 42 chapters, just before Psalms, that much, 42 chapters. You know what? You can't tell when Job was written, that book was written, but scholars believe it was written before Abraham. So before the law had been given to Israel, before any of that, these words in the book of Job were written. It's very early text, the earliest text that we've ever been found, and I believe that's for a reason. I believe you can't time and you cannot date the story of Job because it's meant for us today. It's meant for you. It's meant for Pastor Helena. It's meant for Clive. It's meant for Christine. It's meant for all of us. This scriptures in Job are meant to us. We can't date it and say it's something for back in the past because you're not able to put a time on it. It is timeless. This is personal for us. I believe I'm preaching a message for Com Church today. So in that 42 chapters, which is a lot, and I'm never going to even scratch the surface this morning, it should be a long study, but in 42 chapters, it only documents nine months of suffering. So you read Job, and you take your time to read his book. You think, gosh, this guy had a crazy bad life. He really went through it. He had everything taken away from him. He had such a bad life. But what those 42 chapters document is just nine months of suffering. I want to make sure that we understand the context of what's going on here. Everything was taken from Job, and he stood all the way through his suffering. And at the end, I'm going to do the Columbo thing, which I often do, which is to show you who did the murder at the beginning. And we're doing that at the... You, you, you see the murder right at the beginning, and then at the end of Columbo, you work out how he worked it out. So I'm going to tell you, Job comes out the other side. He comes out, and he has restored to him everything that was stolen in the process, all right? So I just want you to have that in your mind. The story ends okay. The story ends okay. But he... So in the 42 chapters, there's conversation between Job and his friends. That's why it's so much text. That's why there's a lot of text, because there's a lot of talking in there between him and his friends, which gives it context. There's a narration, and there are clearly two scenes in the story of Job. There is an earthly scene, which is down there where you're sat, there's earth. And then up here, at the back of the stage, there's heaven. And it's written like a play so that we can understand it. It gives it context. There's heaven, there's a scene in heaven, and there's a scene in earth. And to explain all that, we need 42 chapters to do it. And you know what? Then there's poetry, and there's descriptions of how Job was feeling when he was going through life's junk, when stuff was being thrown at him. There's loads of stuff there that talks about, he writes poems and he shares, this is my heart, this is what I'm feeling at the time. So there's a lot we can learn. In Job, there's amazing stuff. You know what, this, at the very least, Job was written thousands of years before we had any of our scientific discoveries. But in the book of Job, it says that our identity can be found in our hands and our fingertips. 
The book of Job, before we knew about fingerprints, described that our identity was in our hands. That has to be Holy Spirit inspired. They said in the book of Job that the earth is suspended in nothing. They didn't have a camera that could leave the earth to know that the earth was round and that it was floating in space and that there was a milky way. They they didn't have the ability to take a space shuttle off the earth and see that the earth was in was rotating in nothing, but they knew in the book of Job. The principle of condensation is described when we knew nothing about condensation back when these texts were written, that the sea would um, go into the air and then fall as rain from clouds. Condensation wasn't understood back then. So at the very least, this book of Job is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's inspired by a creator God. Even if it's a play, set on a scene, at the very least, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. This should be a series. We're going to get, um, I need to get someone like Andy MacDonald or someone to just teach on it. There's no way in one sitting I can do the 42 chapters of Job, but I'm going to try and do the beginning. I'm just going to do chapter one. Job raises so many questions about human suffering that I can't possibly address it all in one sitting, but let's read the story ourselves. Sarah, where did you go? Oh, come on, run down. Run down. All right, we're going to do it. Chapter one, is that all right? And then I'll stop you, and I'll, I'll stop you as we go along. Okay, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all of the people of the East. His sons used to take it turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. That's awesome. Job was the richest dude in the East. He was loaded. He was um, Mark Zuckerberg, the owner of Facebook. He had more stocks, more business. That's what that saying, the way that Job was able to make money was through his cattle, was through the, the camels. He was huge. He had massive business. His stockholding was massive, multi-billionaire. He was the guy in the East. He had everything. And I just um, want to say this. Suffering is not reserved for bad people. Suffering is not reserved for bad people. Job was told, it says right there up front, it says that he was a man after God's own heart. You know what, Job, just in that passage that Sarah just said, he, his kids went out partying or they went out and did something. He would go and give extra sacrifice on their behalf. You know, God required a burnt offering or a sacrifice. Let me, where did my ratchet strap go? Did it, did it go somewhere else? Where is it? Okay, all right, so... Job would run and he'd get himself a dead sheep. I didn't bring a dead sheep. I didn't, um, I didn't have a dead sheep anywhere. So, uh, but in those days, it was part of, part of the custom to grab something for that you earn. And he was paid in sheep and he earned sheep. And he would drag his dead sheep all the way 
to the altar and it would be difficult. Let's put an offering envelope on there. Putting an offering. That's, I'm just trying to make it live for you. So like, he would drag his sacrifice to the altar and give it to God. But he wouldn't just do it for himself. He dragged his sacrifice to the altar on behalf of his family, on behalf of his children. And his mission was to say, God, I want you to cover my family. I want to do the right thing. I want to go further than just what is required, and I want to do extra. Come on, Sarah. This guy was close to God's heart. So one day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Amen, amen. So this guy is amazing. God's saying in heaven, so God has a board meeting in heaven. I wonder if we could change the lighting environment, just take it, white lights on the stage. This is heaven. So we're, we're in heaven and there's a board meeting in the stage and somehow Satan manages to get with the angels and come around God and God is there saying, my man is blameless in my sight. Have you considered my servant? I want to make this live for us. You know there's a meeting in heaven and God is seeing your life. If you're a believer, I'm talking to believers now because Job was clearly a believer, blameless in the eyes of God. He was truly someone that loved the Lord his God. And today there's a meeting in heaven and God and the enemy is planning and plotting. He says, I walk, the end, Satan said, I walk the earth and I walk through seeking what I can devour and what I can take out. And there's an enemy that's after your life and after the things that God has for you. But God is in heaven saying to the people around him, no, Sarah Richards is my girl. Julian Richards is my girl. Brother Alfred, he is. Brother Alfred is my man. He will not crumble under what you've got. You know what? We think that, we think that sometimes when we're going through stuff, when we're going through life's problems, we think that God is somehow doing this to us. Nothing bad comes from God. There is an enemy. And God said, God said so far and no further but you can test Brother Alfred Jones. I'll let you test him because he is faithful. I will let you test the people of Com Church because they will go and get their sacrifice. They will go and get their worship. They will go and get what they want to give to their Heavenly Father. They will get it and they will bring it to the altar. I know they will. God is saying, I know they will. We can come back to earth. Oh, look, we're coming back to earth. The system works. You consider my servant Job. You consider my servants at Comchurch. You consider my servant Sarah. You consider 
my servant, Alfred Jones. Satan didn't want to get to Job. He wanted to get to God. In that little bit that Sarah just read, Satan was trying to get to God, not to Job. He's not trying to get to you when you hit suffering. He's still trying to get, jo- get to God. He sat in front of God and said, have you read that bit already? You read that already? Okay, we haven't done the calamities. We'll get there. So in front of God, he's saying, these bad, the bad things, he says to, um, he says to Job, um, he says to Satan, you can go and test Job. You can go and do it. But my man, I believe in him. That God believed that, that Job would truly, truly continue to sacrifice and continue to worship. When the devil squeezed Job, which we're going to read about, you're going to read about the squeeze in a minute. But he, when the devil squeezed this man, he got God all over himself. When he put the squeeze on, and when the tough time came, and when the ratchet strap was put around Job, he ended up getting God on himself. Satan didn't need God's permission to begin to attack Job, but God is in control and God is in charge. I prefer to say God is in charge, actually. God is totally in charge. So God said to the devil, when you go and attack Job, this is the parameters on which you can operate. So far and no further, you cannot touch his life. So God was in charge and in control of the situation. Sarah, read on. So one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a massive mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they were dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Amen. So the ratchet strap starts to tighten on Job. The enemy leaves that meeting with God. Um, and Because the enemy's saying to God, you know what, Job? He will crumble when, you te- when I test him, when I take away. You've put a hedge around Job. That's what the word of God says. That God had put a hedge around him and protected him, giving him all this great stuff, his great business, loads of respect. But the enemy went to God. When I take that from Job, he will curse you and he will, he will turn his back on you. And that's what the devil believed. But God believed that that could stand up to test. What Sarah just read was the test hitting in. So now enemy, bad things come from the enemy. They don't come from God. The methods that the enemy uses, God is not necessarily in control of, I don't believe. He lets the enemy go and test his people. So... Bad things don't come from God. I want to say this. So they started to take his stockholding away. His business began to collapse. There was no stock. There was no livestock in his business anymore. It was just ripped away. And then while he's waiting there, 
another messenger comes and says, all your staff have been taken away. There's no one, there's no one to even work anymore. We're going to take away all of those things. So now even the solution for the business problems is taking, taken away. And then after that, a messenger comes to him and says, it's now going to touch your family because the four winds from all the corners of the desert have come and knocked the house down where your family was. Your children are all dead. Job's challenge touched his family, touched his heart, touched his life, touched every aspect. It touched his financial situation. Sarah, read on about Job's challenges. There's a second wave. Okay, on another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out of the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. The second wave, take me back to heaven. So they have the very same conversation in heaven again. The conversation Jesus goes, even uh, God said, even though my son has been tested, even though Job has been challenged so far, you've taken everything from him, even though you've done that, I still believe he will continue to stand. Job had God's vote, still had. He knew that his man would stand and continue to stand. And Satan said, but if I touch his physical body, he will be at such a low ebb that he will curse you. I know he will. The enemy's going, I'm going to take his physical well-being away from him. And God said, I believe my man will stand. And then he lets Satan do what he will back on the earth. We're coming back to earth. And now we get Job being struck with sores and his physical health is now being tested. How can you make a great decision about anything when your physical health is also being affected? How do you make a decision in your business that is now in rack or ruin? How do you begin to rebuild the finances? How do you begin to plan the funerals of all your children that died in the house when your health now is beginning to dip? This is the ratchet strap moment around Job's chest. You just want to be free of that feeling. He's gasping in. He's covering himself in ashes. The Bible says there that he scraped the sores off his body with a pot. He took a pot, a hard pot, and scraped his sores off himself because he was in so much pain. The ratchet strap of life was taking out Job. I've got you there because some of us have felt that way. Some of us have felt that way. Throughout these scriptures, and when you read from here on, you read how Job tells his poetry. He asks God, why? 
25 times in the book of Job, Job stands there and asks God, why? Why me? Why are you doing this to me? I've been your faithful servant. Why on earth are you doing this to me? He says, God, he, he's almost on the edge of blaming God for everything that's happening to him. That's what Job is doing. I've got eight points that I'm going to do like lightning. You're going to have to stay with me of things that we can learn from this point where Job has got the ratchet strap around him, where he can hardly take a breath. There are eight things we can learn. The first one being bad things happen to good people. Job found himself in that position regardless of how much he'd given, regardless of how much he had sown into the kingdom, regarding how much he had done, if I bring it into Comchurch land, regardless of how many times he had come to church and bought his song. The book of Job opens with the verse telling us that Job was blameless, upright, that he feared God and he turned away from evil, yet still his life unraveled before our very eyes. Job's suffering did not come because he was bad, but rather his suffering came because he was faithful. Job 1, verse 8, you can read it there. In the midst of suffering, number two, we should never lose sight of God. Job never lost sight of God. Never lost sight. He always talked to God. In fact, he, he even got mad. But he didn't sin, the Bible says, a few times there. One of the greatest statements of faith in all of Scripture is found in Job, right in the middle of Job chapter 13. If we've got it, Job says this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, he's blaming God almost. Though he slay me, though God, why? God, why is this happening to me? Why is this being allowed to happen? I've done everything I can for you. No one and nothing will ever steal your joy or your peace when your hope is in God. At this moment of suffering, at this moment of pain, at this moment of hurt, this is when you find out where your hope is. You must put your hope in God. Our friends may fail us in this moment. Friends may fail you. You know what? Friends are not the number one source that you go to in your circumstance. In fact, we're often drawn to people going through the thing that we're going through. And that's the last thing that you need when you're in, Job, when you're in Job's position. Job's friends put him on the defense. In fact, Job said this about his friends, miserable comforters are you. That's what Job said about his friends. Miserable comforters are you to his friends. See, we can't rely on our friends. Our hope must be in something greater than just our friends. Job 19, 25 to 27, you can read it. Job's hope was here, and I love this. I know that my Redeemer lives. He knew that he was going to see his Redeemer and that at one point or another he would come out the other side of these challenges. I know that my Redeemer lives and one day I will see my Redeemer. I will see the God that I've believed in and that I've brought my um, sacrifices to. I will see him. <coughs> He is alive today, forevermore, and because he lives, we can face tomorrow with victory. Is that awesome? When we're going through pain, 
when we're going through trial, when we want all that to go away, when we're blaming God, when we're saying, God, this is your fault. You're in control of this, and this is happening to me. In that moment, we can have victory because one day we're going to see the ultimate victor. Amen? Even in the midst of... Um, even in the midst of God's silence, God's presence was with Job. So when Job was questioning the presence of God, God was still right there by his side. That's a lesson we can take from Job. Job wrestled and wrestled with God's silence in the midst of the trial. Have you ever been there? Where the ratchet straps tight and you think, I'm not hearing. I'm not hearing from God. He's left my side. I'm not hearing you. I'm not. This cannot possibly be from God because I don't feel happy. Have you ever been there? I'm not happy. Everything isn't great. Everything isn't hunky dory. Therefore, I can't be in the will of God. The story of Job turns that completely upside down. Over 25 times he asked the question, why? And continually asked the opportunity to to defend his case before God. Job entered the fiery furnace of suffering. He was truly in the heart, the fiery furnace of suffering. But he knew this too. In Job 23, 10 to 12, he said this, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. I shall come out as gold. Job, in the middle of that moment, with, the, with, the, with the, un, the inability to breathe, he still said, when I come out the other side of this, I'm going to be like gold. I'm going to be precious. I'm going to be better than the way that I went in. Number five, wisdom comes from fearing God and turning away from evil. In that moment when you feel weak, when the straps round you, you're weak to the influences of temptation. The enemy, it, always feel, it already feels like the enemy is having a field day with you. You're sick, you're ill, you have sores, your family's been taken, there's a challenge, you're maybe hitting divorce, you're hitting all of these things that are coming against you. Maybe your business is going into bankruptcy, whatever your Job experience is. In that moment, We are weak and we are open and there's many times where Job has to repent and turn away from the evil opportunities that he has. Humility is key. Pride interferes with us following the wise ways of the Lord. And in that moment, you can become very prideful and humility can be lost. Job says this, I love it, 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord That is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. This is one of the most profound things that Job says in the whole story. I'm going to read it again. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. What he's saying there is that when we are fearful of the Lord, when we watch how we walk, that is wisdom, and we need to watch how we walk when when we're in that tight time, when we're being pressed, when we're... Pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned. Turn away from evil is to understand wisdom. That's what Job says. What a profound thing to say in that moment of pressing. Number six, where are we at? We've got time. God is with us in the midst of our storm. Chapter 30 is Job talking about the storm of life. He writes a poem about how the winds came and the storm came and the rain and like how stuff came against him like a storm. 
We sing that song, Cornerstone, don't we? And I love that song, man. Because you sing it in the storm, and when you're really facing the storm, it just keeps you lifted up, doesn't it? But he talks about the perfect storm in life. You can read, Google it on the internet, what the perfect storm, where multiple storms come and hit you at the same time, and they all converge at one moment at a time, and the winds and the rain are so bad because the storms multiply. And what you'll find is that when one thing hits, another servant will come and tell you something else is hitting in your life. You never manage one storm at a time. They're always come in multiples. So if you're here today and you've been sent to Comchurch today and the storms of life are multiplying around you and you don't feel like you can cope, this word was for you. Job comes out the other side. Everything is restored to him and he is victorious in the end. I love the 23rd Psalm. Mum's been teaching in Bible study on the 23rd Psalm. I want to encourage you today. You're feeling like you're going to give up. I didn't have a chance to say this in the earlier service, but in the 23rd Psalm, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And it tells you that in green pastures, you can lie your head down to rest, and God will lead you to still waters, to, and you can get your rest. How many of us have hit the valley of the shadow of de- death, and we've rested, and we've stopped walking? The 23rd Psalm says you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and then you lay your head by the still waters. You don't stop in the valley of shadow of the death and you don't lay your head down there. You don't make it your home. You don't rest there. You don't build a house there. You don't start a campfire. You don't rest there. You keep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Do I have some people that understand this today? How many times do we slow down? When that ratchet strap is there and we go, no, I need to take my foot off the gas. I need to, I need to stop. No, man. The 23rd Psalm tells you, keep walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Job, th- Job 13 verse 15 describes the perfect storm in his life. How multiple storms came together at one. I like to say God is in charge. God is in control. That's my My final point here, I'm not going to do the others because we haven't got time. God is the creator of our universe. He is mighty and powerful. He's bigger than any circumstance you will face. He's bigger than any divorce you will go through. He's bigger than any problem that you can't pay for. He's bigger than anything you will come against. We see in Job chapter 1 that nothing came into the life of Job without God giving the enemy the say-so. God gave his blessing because he knew that Job would stand and and not crumble under the pressure. He knew it. God set the parameters and the devil said, was told, so far and no further. I want to read in my conclusion as I bring this to land. I just wanted to give us a flavor of Job's life. And I just wanted to give us a taste for what Job went through and the difficulties that he had and how he managed to stay strong regardless. You know what? I want to make this real this morning. There's an enemy that means, that doesn't want you to bring your song of worship. There's an enemy that doesn't want you to sing, through the storm, he is Lord, Lord of all. 
cornerstone of my life, cornerstone of the church. There's an enemy that wants to rob that praise from you, that worship from you. There's an enemy that doesn't want your offering envelope to make it for you any form of sacrifice that you want to do to please God. Though Jesus came and his grace is on offer to us and we're saved by Jesus Christ's grace, even though we have all that, we still want to do what God what makes God happy, what causes God to smile, whatever makes God's face smile. We want to do those things. And there's an enemy that doesn't want you to live that way. There's an enemy that wants you to look to the left and look to the right. He wants you to take your eyes off what you're meant to be doing, the things. God has not planned one defeat for your life. God did not plan Job's defeat. God did not sit in heaven and plan demise for Job. He planned Job to go to a whole new level. And that's the message for you today. God's got a plan for your life. And there's an enemy that wants to take it. And I want to say, God is in heaven this morning. Saying the people at Com Church, enemy, they're going to bring their praise. They're going to bring their worship. They're going to bring their offering. Regardless what the enemy is saying, they will not listen. They will stand. They will stand. I know the people of Comchurch. I know their hearts. I know Clive. I know Sarah. I know Christine. They're going to make it. They will make it out the other side. Throw what you like at them. In fact, God sits there and goes, I know what Andrew can cope with. I know what he can. Enemy. Only go so far with Andrew. Only go so far. There is a boundary to what you can do. God is in control of that, Andrew. You know that? Amen. Amen. So I would just want to stand. I want us to pray. Anyone that feels the ratchet strap of life around their chest this morning, you can be free from pain. You can be free from hurt. And this morning, you can stand strong. You can you can stand strong like Job did. Let's stand up all over this place. You can bring your worship. You can bring your praise. How awesome were those songs we sang this morning? I'm an overcomer. God sat in heaven going, if you never have an opportunity to overcome something, then you can't be an overcomer. If you never have an opportunity to be a victor, you're never going to live in victory. God's saying there can be opportunities in your life for us to overcome, for us to be strong, for us to stand strong and not let the devil's lies get us down. And I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, particularly heartbreak, God was just, as I was talking, I felt like someone here is carrying heartbreak that they can physically feel, like Nathan with that strap around here. And you can feel your heart. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray with you. There's an enemy not wanting you to bring your praise, not wanting you to bring your offering, not wanting you to do any of the stuff that gladdens God's heart. He doesn't want you to fulfill your ministry. He doesn't want you to share your faith with someone else. That's why the enemy wants to take us out. Ultimately, not to get to you, but to get to God. The enemy wants to get to God. Are we going to let him or are we going to stand strong? Come church, if that's you, I want to pray for you this morning. Can we sing that overcoming song that you were singing? Josh, kill it for me. Just come and respond if you want prayer this morning. 
Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you, and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.